I'm Ann Hollander, president of Penn, and I'm here simply to uh, welcome you on Penn's account to this uh, press conference. My name is Siobhan Dowd, and I'm program director of Penn's Freedom to Write Committee, that part of Penn which um, campaigns to defend freedom of expression wherever it is threatened. We speak out on behalf of writers who are imprisoned, facing death threats, or harassed in other ways all over the world. And at any one time, we have something like woman, Tasleema Nazrin, captured the imagination of literally millions last year when her outspoken defense of women's rights in Bangladesh led to her being the subject of death threats. A bounty was placed on her head and an arrest warrant was issued. To avoid arrest and imprisonment and attack, beset from all sides, she went into hiding in June of last year. She emerged the following August after the Bangladeshi government, bowing to pressure from her lawyers and human rights advocates, both in Bangladesh and abroad, granted her bail and allowed her to leave the country. She's been living in Europe ever since, under a certain measure of police protection, um, and we are delighted to have her with us today. This is her first public appearance in New York City. Just one more word before I proceed to introduce our speakers. The case against Tasleema Nazarin is not over. She's still forced to live with special care, always to her security. Wherever she goes, the local police must be alerted. Moreover, the legal case against her in Bangladesh continues. The charges against her have not been dropped. She's charged under Section 295A of Bangladesh's penal code for having, I quote, deliberately and maliciously outraged the religi religious sentiments of a class of citizens. Penn's view of the case is that the law itself is inappropriate, since it clearly abridges severely the right to freedom of expression. Ms. Nazarene's lawyers are attempting to have the case derailed by rather complicated legal mechanisms. Um, Sarah Hussein, one of her lawyers, wrote to Penn only yesterday explaining the intricacies of the case. I have copies of that letter for those who are interested. In a nutshell, there is much confusion as to whether the case against Ms. Nazarene can proceed since the alleged offense, comments that Ms. Nazarene made while in India, occurred outside the jurisdiction of the Bangladeshi government. The prosecution claims to have obtained a sanction to press forward with the case from the government, and the defense claims that this sanction is not valid. The question is now before the Supreme Court, and the next hearing will probably not occur until the end of October. We have heard uh, from our sources that this is indeed a crucial moment. Many officials within the government would like to have the case dropped, and their position is, we are told, very much bolstered by press reports, sympathetic, i.e. to Nazarene press reports, in the Western media that indicate that there is still international scrutiny of this case. With no more ado, let me introduce our first speaker, which is to the far left, George Brazilla. Publisher since 1955 of George Brazilla books, he's cut for himself a unique place in New York's publishing world. His house is often given a platform for writers from abroad who would not otherwise have a means of addressing a US audience. Last year, his company released For Rushdie, a collection of essays by Arab and Muslim writers in defense of free speech. And this year, we have The Game in Reverse, the first ever collection of Taslima Nazarin's poems in English. George Brazil. Uh, thank you. <coughs> I want to thank uh, Penn uh, for arranging uh, this press conference. 
I also want to apologize for being just a little late. Uh, Taslima has been down more or less with a cold for the last two or three days, and it was with some effort that uh, I got her to come down here, and I'm glad she's here. <coughs> I, uh, I first heard about uh, Taslima Nazrin about a year and a half ago uh, through the New York Times. It seems like there was a big account of a demonstration regarding the publication and the writings of Taslima. Many of them appeared in a, her essays, and the most famous thing of all was her novel called Laja. Uh, when I heard about this in the Times, uh, uh, I hate to say it, typical of me, I plunged in and uh, called uh, Penguin India that were the publishers of the novel. Uh, Penguin in India put me in touch with Penn in London to try to make contact uh, with Taslima. It was impossible to uh, reach uh, Ms. Nazrin for many reasons, the obvious reasons. At any rate, uh, we finally got in touch with her agent. These, this is sort of small talk about what a publisher <laughs> tries to do about uh, getting hold of a manuscript or a book, but we were kind of determined, we admired what was, uh, what Taslima Nazrin was going through and the writings. We finally reached her agent who submitted her essays, her poems, and her novel. And in going through the works of Taslima, we decided that one of the best ways of introducing uh, Mr. Aslan to the audience in America would be through her poetry. The novel, the essays are still uh, being considered and looked at. I just want to close with just one little remark that, and this is a hopeful note, as we know, Rushdie now is seven years uh, and living in a way that is pretty bad. I saw Rushdie in January, <coughs> and I asked him why, how he was living, and he said he was not going to go on living the way he did in the last seven years, and that he would now try to come out in the open. It's now one year that Taslima had the fatwa declared on her. And on some hopeful note, we hope it won't be as long as seven years as with Rushdie. Thank you. Our next speaker is Meredith Tax, a prominent fiction writer, author of Rivington Street and Union Square. Meredith is um, herself a censorship case for her children's book, Families, which was taken out of the curriculum in Fairfax County, Virginia, as a result of a campaign by the Christian Coalition. She's been active in the women's movement since 69 and um, has participated in a number of organizations and she was the founder of the International Penn Women's Writers Committee. Penn has a system whereby one of its writers' members will take up an individual case of a writer imprisoned or intimidated in other ways and write letters of support, build up an individual re relationship with the threatened writer. And I can't think of another case in which a writer has worked so indefatigably as Meredith did in this case. 
She tracked the case from the start, was in constant touch, both with Taslima Nazarin herself and her lawyers, and she was also in touch with representatives of the Bangladeshi government and did her absolute utmost to negotiate uh, Ms. Nazarin's safe passage out of the country. Meredith Tax. Thank you, <coughs> thank you, Siobhan. Pan American Center has asked me to give you a little brief narrative of my involvement in Taslima's case. Um, just to refresh your memory, perhaps. I'm the founder, and in 1993 was the chair of the International Pen Women Writers Committee, and as such, I was one of Penn's point people in uh, working out strategies and tactics for this case. And Taslima's was probably the most complicated case we were ever involved in because of all the interest that was eventually aroused in the international press. But Penn was among the first organization to take it up. And my narrative can show even how even a small organization of writers working largely on a volunteer basis can accomplish if they work hard, take initiative, <coughs> and develop a strategy that's coordinated between several countries. On September, 19, September 25, 1993, I got a fax from the Writers in Prison Committee in London which enclosed a small AP clip that had appeared that day in the paper, asking me to look into it. It said that a woman writer in Bangladesh had been put under a death threat by an Islamic group in Silhet, a small country town, because of her writing. The clipping said the death threat had forced her to stay in her apartment in Dhaka. Now, Penn has no active members in Bangladesh. Nobody here that I could find knew anything about this writer, and London needed more information and wanted to offer help. So I decided the best thing to do was to find Taslima herself as soon as possible. And since I didn't know anybody in Bangladesh, I had to locate her using the resources of the international women's movement. That took three days. I first called an academic authority on women and Islam. She didn't know Taslima or her work, but she gave me the name of a Bangladeshi woman and development consultant for the UN whom she had met at a conference. This woman didn't know Taslima either, but had heard of her, and she gave me the fax numbers of several Bangladeshi women's organizations. The first one I contacted was Ain O Salish Kendra, a legal rights organization which has taken up the cases of women in the countryside who have been accused of adultery and been illegally sentenced by local Islamic authorities uh, to death by stoning or burning. There were a growing number of such cases, and I learned that one of the reasons the fundamentalists in the countryside in Bangladesh hated Taslima was that she had written against these practices in her newspaper column and called for the prosecution of the mullahs involved. Hamida Hossein, the president of Aino Sadish Kendra, said that if I sent a fax to Taslima in care of her, she would pass it on, so I did, offering help, and I soon received a reply from Taslima. We entered into regular correspondence by fax, exchanging letters about once a week. I also was able to find a number of Bangladeshi journalists, writers, and feminists in the US, some of whom are here, who gave me background information on Taslima and on the situation of women in Bangladesh. Meanwhile, London was also gathering information from human rights groups. The Writers in Prison Committee put out an urgent action asking people to write letters on the case on September 30th, 1993. I did a longer paper a uh, background paper which I started using in the U.S. in October when I spoke at her in a women's conference on feminism and nationalism in Washington and at that time also met with the State Department. Taslima's situation at that time in the fall two years ago was not as grave as it later became but it was already serious. The group that had put a fatwa upon her was just a little group in the countryside and many people didn't take it seriously. But what made her situation particularly difficult 
was the fact that the Bangladeshi government had confiscated her passport on a technicality that January when she was en route to a literary conference in India. This meant that while she was under death threat and couldn't leave her apartment, she also couldn't leave the country, and they were not guarding her adequately. They had also put a ban on her book, Laja, that July, on the grounds that it stirred up misunderstandings between Muslims and Hindus. In fact, the book exposed mistreatment of Hindus, and the government wanted to suppress it for that reason. Penn's campaign at this stage was aimed at getting Taslima's passport back and having the government lift the ban on her book. We did this through public information and letters to the Bangladeshi and to our own governments in many countries, asking them to become involved in the case. In November 1993, I was able to help Taslima get an op-ed into the New York Times, and this was the first that most people in the United States heard of her. People then began to compare her case to that of Salman Rushdie. But the important thing is how unlike these two cases are. For Rushdie, at the time he was put under a fatwa, was an internationally known writer who wrote in English and lived in the West. It is natural that people would hear about <coughs> his case while Taslima had not been translated and was known mainly in her own region, besides which she is a woman. I believe that without international agitation, her case would not have reached the point it did in terms of publicity and in terms of her own success in dealing with it. Although there is, as Siobhan said, still much to be dealt with. But in fact, months of pressure by human rights groups succeeded in embarrassing the government sufficiently, so they gave her passport back in April 94. She immediately went to Paris to participate in a human rights event. On her way back, she gave an interview to a reporter for the Calcutta Statesman, who asked provocative questions about whether she would support changes in the Quran. She replied, whoever has written the Quran has made it absolutely clear that not a single word can be changed. Asked if she would support changes in the Sharia law, she was quoted as saying, I'm not in favor of minor changes, it serves no purpose. The Quran should be revised thoroughly. This statement directly contradicts the one just before it. It seems like a misprint. She said it was a misquotation, but it caused a great furor in Bangladesh <coughs> when she tried to retract the statement, saying she had only meant that we must quote, move beyond these ancient texts if we want to progress, Islamic clerics said her retraction was worse than the original and called for her death. One put a price on her head. The leading Islamic party, Jamaat-e-Islami, which had 20 seats in parliament, staged a demonstration calling for her execution. And on June 4, 1994, the police chief in central Dhaka filed a case against Taslima under section 295A of the penal code, which provides for two years imprisonment, as Siobhan said, for acts intended to outrage the religious feelings of any class of citizens. A warrant was issued for her arrest, and she went into hiding. On June 15th, Taslima sent me a fax from underground, asking for help in getting the government to drop charges and give her police protection, and if this was not possible, to help her get political asylum. I did not release this statement to the press, nor did I intend to, but I did take it in a paper, a background paper, that I handed out at a meeting of women and human rights activists the next day in order to get support. Two days later, her statement appeared in the official government paper in Dhaka, and all hell broke loose. Uh, was she going to get asylum? How would she escape? Where would she go? What country did she want to go to? And the case became an international media sensation. Um, I will not go over the details of the two months she was in hiding or how she eventually ended up in Sweden, except to emphasize that she did not flee the country or ask for political asylum, but merely went abroad while her trial was continued, 
with the consent of her government, and she plans to return to Bangladesh as soon as it becomes safe for her to do so. In conclusion, I would just like to make a couple of general points, but which relate not only to Tazlima's case, but to that, those of many other women writers. I believe that Tazlima's case is the tip of the iceberg. It was pure luck that we heard about it at all and were able to help. We don't hear about most such cases. Cases of gender-based censorship, by which I mean the censorship of writers simply because they are women or because of what they say about the condition of women, are becoming an epidemic because of the conjunction of two historical tendencies at this time. The first is the increase in female education, which has added strength to the movement for women's emancipation around the world and resulted in an increasing number of women writers who protest the injustices done to women. The second is the growing strength of religious fundamentalism in many countries, including our own. And do not deceive yourself by thinking that gender-based censorship and other kinds of censorship are not a problem here. As Siobhan mentioned, I myself have had a problem, though it's not comparable to Taslima's. And in the United States, censorship does not need to be carried out by the government. Market forces alone can take care of it. The pressure of religious fundamentalists and other zealots and bigots when added to the conditions of discrimination suffered by women in most countries already, make the situation of women writers difficult indeed and different from that of men. For that reason, a number of international women writers who have been active in Penn have also begun a new organization called Women's World, which stands for the Women's World Organization for Rights, Literature, and Development. We recently sent a delegation to the NGO Forum in China and presented this pamphlet, which treats gender-based censorship on a world scale and which is available to anyone who wants it. We believe it is necessary to take gender-based censorship up as a human rights issue with patterns of its own, distinct from that of political censorship, to enable women to be able to write without fear in the future and to build solidarity within the international women's movement for other writers in Taslima's predicament. Thank you, Meredith. Um, Taslima has said that she, will, she doesn't want to say very much. She'd much rather respond to questions. Um, for those of you who don't know, she's a woman of many talents. She's a doctor of medicine, a prolific journalist, a novelist, and poet. She's also, as I think we all know, a fearless champion of women's rights. Another Bangladeshi writer once said of Taslima, she writes about things in her newspaper columns that my grandmother wanted to say but was told not to, that my mother wanted to say but was told not to, and that I wanted to say but was told not to. Nobody's allowed even to whisper these things in their homes, yet there she is, writing them down for all to see in her newspaper. Taslima Nazrin. I'd like to express my heartfelt gratitude for having invited me here. I can assure you today that I will uphold my ideals until my day. I will never back down I will not compromise with fundamentalists who want to pull our society in medieval darkness. I will fight against all orthodoxy, bigotry, fundamentalism, fanaticism, and all evil forces. I got your support and solidarity 
this has made me more committed and more determined to my cause. Thank you. Okay. Could I just ask speakers um, to identify themselves before they proceed with their question? Thank you, sorry. Did everybody hear the question? Um, the question was, would Ms. Nazreen like to go back to Bangladesh if indeed her case is dropped? Uh, yes, uh, I want to go back to my country. I love my country, I want to stay in my country. Uh, but I think that now situation is uh, dangerous. If I go back now that uh, Fundamentalists can kill me at any time. Uh, if go government withdraw this case and if government uh, take action against the fundamentalists who issued fatwa against me, and if government gave me proper security, then I think that I will go back to my country. Did everybody hear that question? <laughs> I think perhaps um, questioners may want to come up to the mic, I don't know. The question was whether one year later, um, Ms. Nazreen feels that her message has um, gotten across to women in Bangladesh. Um, if all this has been worthwhile. Uh, when I stayed in Bangladesh, I was in Bangladesh, I got response from the women that they read my books, they uh, they like to read my books, and they r come to me and they say that what I have written it is their life. So they request always they request me not to stop my writing. They request me to continue my writing because they get encouraged inspiration to continue to fight against the system, the religious system, the patriarchy, uh, all systems against women. Especially who are the working women and educated women in school, university, college, uh, even the housewife who are tortured by husband and family they, they really, uh, they are waking up. And uh, many women in our country are not conscious of their rights. Actually, through my writing, I want to make them conscious. They are taught by uh, century that it is their destiny or fate that they would be slave of men. But uh, I, w I want to say that uh, Women are human beings. They should have right to live as human beings. So uh, many women are waking up and they realize that they should 
uh, fight against all the systems, which uh, against inequality, against uh, injustice, against oppression. So, but uh, many women's leader in uh, women's organizations, they they are against me. I don't know why. They say that uh, I'm wrong. I, because of me, fundamentalists uh, increased in number. But I think that for rising of fundamentalism, I think there are many causes behind. Government is the main cause that government uh, support fundamentalists and uh, uh, government uh, removed secularism from our constitution and they put, uh, they introduce uh, state religion, Islam. These are the causes behind to rise fundamentalism. It is not me. So I think that they are wrong. Okay, your question? Okay. What can you tell us about the way you're living now? Uh, are you continuing to write? Have you left family uh, in your country behind? Are you fearful where you are now? And, and how do you spend your days? What are you doing now? Uh, I live alone. My family mem uh, stayed in Bangladesh. Uh, in uh, Western countries, I feel safe. But uh, some government gave me police protection. Uh, so I feel more safe. And uh, I'm writing here. I, uh, I know that it is the most important thing in my life because for writing, I had to leave uh, my country. I sacrificed my country, my language, my family, my Bengali culture only for this writing. So, so I know that uh, wherever I stay, I must continue my writing, actually my fighting against uh, fundamentalists. Was, uh, the question is, were you encouraged by the UN Women's Conference on Women in Beijing? Yes, I think it is a good conference. Uh, I hope that, uh, mm, I, I, yes, uh, uh, sorry, my English is so bad, <laughs> but I will try to explain uh, that uh, that many women went there and they demanded their rights and uh, it was declared that women's rights are women's rights, women's rights are women's rights. So I really feel that, uh, that many women actually, uh, they realize that they should have that uh, right to live as human being. So, so I feel encouraged really, because um. uh, from Muslim countries, many women, they came and they asked they demanded their freedom or their rights. So I think that if government take action, 
take really step to improve the condition of women, then it will help. Uh, if they only, sometimes they only promise, but they don't do anything. But if they do something, then I think it will be helpful for women. Um, I'd just like to ask Meredith also to address that question, since she was actually at the conference. One of the things that was very clear both leading up to the conference and in Cairo and when you were there was that funda fundamentalist movements now are beginning to combine and to work together and that they see women as the chief point of attack. In this country it's also not only women but gay rights. It, it varies in different countries and that was very clear in the pressure leading up to the conference and decent language on some issues was only gotten into the declaration by the utmost exertion of women's groups throughout the world. There was a, a lot of difficulty in getting it through. And uh, I noticed, I was mostly at the NGO forum in Huairo, not in Beijing with the UN people, but for instance, among there were many good demonstrations there for progressive causes and for women's rights, but there were also fundamentalist demonstrations, even among us women. The Iranians had sent over a substantial delegation, and one of the most interesting things about this delegation was the signs they carried in their demonstration, because these were women who were all in gray chadors, about 20 women only, marching along, yelling in English, mind you, not in Iranian, not in Farsi, they were yelling, save the family, save the family, and the signs that they held up were fetuses, signs that I recognized very well from home. They were signs from the American Right to Life movement in English saying, protect the right to life with huge pictures of fetuses. Now, I can't believe they used those signs in Iran. Next question. Uh, oh. I don't know uh, if Taslima wants me to mention this, but she was up in Canada a few days ago and Toronto and in Montreal and uh, the reception she got from the fundamentalists up there was frightening and they were demonstrating and if it wasn't for the security there was something like 200 police up there uh, protecting Nazareth and uh, I'm sure this shook her up when she came to New York she but she seemed to have handled quite well. Um, back there, question if you could speak as loudly as you can. question is, did anyone in Bangladesh speak out on Tazim and Azram's behalf, given that it is a secular country with a wide range of opinions? Yes, Bangladesh was a secular country, but now it is not any more secular country. Uh, but there are strong uh, secular and fundamentalist movement there. There are many righteous intellectuals who are fighting against fundamentalists. Uh, Many righteous intellectuals, they support me. They uh, write columns in the newspapers for me. So I get their support always.
Yes, but uh, uh, many writers, intellectuals support me openly. But I know that many people, and uh, among the ordinary people, they support me, but uh, they cannot support me openly because they are f afraid of fundamentalists. So I know them. Over here, do you want to take the mic? Given that Bangladesh is one of the few countries in the world with a, a woman government leadership, do you think, can you give a reason why you're not receiving support at the highest levels? Do you think that the Prime Minister is, is actually being held to account to the fundamentalism, or is there another reason for that? Yes, uh, a Prime Minister is woman. This it's working. Uh, the Prime Minister of Bangladesh is woman, and not only Prime Minister, the opposition leader is also woman. Uh, but many people think that there are women in Bangladesh, maybe that it means that the women condition in Bangladesh is good. But uh, women condition is not good. They came in power because the Prime Minister's husband was killed he was ex-president and op opposition leader's father was killed. Uh, he was ex-prime minister, so they came to uh, power, they became a leader of the party and they came in power. So you know that how women come in power in third world country, it's always through bloodshed, through accident. Women don't have uh, access to education, they don't have access to economics and politics. Only five elected women members in parliament uh, among 330 uh, representatives, uh, people's representatives. So I think it is alarming. And uh, it, uh, they are women. Uh, I, I, I don't think that if uh, you are women, uh, you will do s something for women. It depends on ideological commitment. It does not depend on man and woman. If you ha they have no ideological commitment to improve the condition of women, so they don't do anything. They don't support me. They just support fundamentalists. When fundamentalists issued fatwa against me, instead of taking action against fundamentalists, government filed case against me. So I didn't get any support from opposition leader also. She's a woman. I have a question actually, um, Taslima. Could you just tell us a little bit more about your current way of life? Um, how easy you're finding it to write in exile? Um, what your security considerations are nowadays? Yes, uh, I know that uh, I am ordinary human being. I like to uh, uh, lead a normal life, but uh, I cannot do that. Uh, always uh, police, uh, security police around me. I want to walk alone in the street, but I cannot do that. Actually, I couldn't 
lead normal life uh, since 1990 when I was in Bangladesh. I couldn't go to public place. I was attacked several times by fundamentalists. Not only fundamentalists, the male sovereignists who do not like my writings, who think that I am breaking the patriarchal systems. Uh, and uh, here in Western countries, uh, it is true that I do not get total freedom here to go out wherever I want. Uh, it's not actually a very big problem. The problem what I feel that I'm s totally detached from Bengali society, Bengali culture, and my language, Bengali language. So sometimes I f it is uh, difficult to continue my writing in my language because I'm so far here. I have no contact with my friends uh, there with writing that uh, with my family or my friends there. So, so I think that it is good for me to, to, to go back to my country and write there. But uh, I think if situation improves, I will go back. It is important for my writing because I realize that it is not easy for me to, to write uh, in Western countries. Any more questions? The question is, has the subject matter of Taslima's writing changed in terms of form or in any other way that she could describe? No, my subject matter didn't change. Uh, but form maybe a little bit changed. But what changed that is that uh, I could write more in Bangladesh. Here, is it progressed slowly. Okay, and one or two last questions and then we'll wrap up. Yes. I think I'm going to give you the microphone. Okay. Uh, now that you're in the United States, uh, would you like to live in this country or any other English-speaking country than in Sweden because you will be more... Uh, conversant with English language, number one. Number two, there are more Bengali-speaking people in these countries. Uh, actually, I live in Germany now, not in Sweden. Uh, so mm, I will live in Germany <laughs> and more six months. And uh, I got uh, invitation from Writer's House in Los Angeles. Maybe I will come here for three months or six months like that. But I actually, I don't know uh, my future. My future is always uncertain where I will go or where I will stay. So if I get an invitation from any 
organization from any country that I will go there. But not forever. <laughs> okay, any last questions? Well, thank you, Tazlima. One here, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, Nadine. Do you fear for the safety of your family that's remained in your country? Are they living under any sort of threat? And they had problem before. Now I think that it is, uh, it is okay now. My sister lost her job because uh, her crime was that she is my sister. And uh, fundamentalists broke my uh, father's chamber and house. They attacked. And uh, my s father also lost his patience. Uh, they are isolated in society, but I think uh, it is uh, better now, the situation, the condition is better now. My father is doctor. Okay, any last questions? Thank you all very much for coming, and thank you very much, Tazima Nazrin, for being with us here today. She was invited primarily by the Canadian government to lecture at Toronto. And